Section 20 of A Popular History of France, Volume 5. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 5, by François Guizot, translated by Robert Black. Chapter 38. Louis XIII, Cardinal Richelieu, and the Court, 1622-1642, Part 1. The characteristic of Louis XIV's reign is the uncontested empire of the sovereign over the nation, the authority of the court throughout the country. All intellectual movement proceeded from the court or radiated about it. The whole government, whether for war or peace, was concentrated in its hands. Condé, Turenne, Catina, Luxembourg, Villars, Vendôme belonged, as well as Louvois or Colbert, to the court. From the court went the governors and administrators of provinces. There was no longer any greatness existing outside of the court. There were no longer any petty private courts. As for the state, the king was it. For ages past, France had enjoyed the rare good fortune of seeing her throne successively occupied by Charlemagne and Charles V, by Saint-Louis and Louis XI, by Louis XII, Francis I and Henry IV, great conquerors or wise administrators, heroic saints or profound politicians, brilliant knights or models of patriot kings. Such sovereigns had not only governed, but also impressed the imagination of the people. It was to them that the weak, oppressed by the great feudal lords, had little by little learned to apply for support and assistance. Since the reign of Francis I, especially in the midst of the religious struggles which had caused division amongst the noblesse and were threatening to create a state within the state, the personal position of the grandees and that of their petty private courts had been constantly diminishing in importance. The wise policy, the bold and prudent courage of Henry IV and his patriotic foresight had pacified hatred and stayed civil wars. He had caused his people to feel the pleasure and pride of being governed by a man of a superior order. Cardinal Richelieu, more stern than Henry IV, set his face steadily against all the influences of the great lords. He broke them down one after another. He persistently elevated the royal authority. It was the hand of Richelieu which made the court and paved the way for the reign of Louis Fourteenth. The fronde was but a paltry interlude and a sanguinary game between parties. At Richelieu's death, pure monarchy was founded. In the month of December, 1622, the work was as yet full of difficulty. There were numerous rivals for the heritage of royal favour that had slipped from the dying hands of Luynes. The Prince of Condé, a man of ability and moderation, quote, a good managing man, or homme de bon ménage, end quote, as he was afterwards called by the cardinal, was the first to get the possession of the mind of the king, at that time away from his mother, who was residing at Paris. Quote, it was not so much from dislike that they opposed her, says Richelieu, as from fear, lest, when once established at the king's council, she might wish to introduce me there. They acknowledged in me some force of judgment. They dreaded my wits, fearing lest, if the king were to take special cognizance of me, it might come to his committing to me the principal care of his affairs. Memoir de Richelieu, page 193. On returning to Paris, the king nevertheless could not refuse this gratification to his mother. However, quote, the prince, who was in the habit of speaking very freely, and could not be mum about what he had on his mind, permitted himself to go so far as to say that she had been received into the council on two conditions, one, that she should have cognizance of nothing but what they pleased, and the other, that though only a portion of affairs was communicated to her, she would serve as authority for all in the minds of the people. Memoir de Richelieu, page 194. In fact, the queen-mother quite perceived that she was only shown the articles in the window, and did not enter the shop. 
Quote, but with all the prudence and patience of an Italian, when she was not carried away by passion, she knew how to practice dissimulation towards the Prince of Condé and his allies, Chancellor Sillery and his son Puissieux, Secretary of State. End quote. She accompanied her son on an expedition against the Huguenots of the South, which she had not advised, quote, foreseeing quite well that if she were separated from the king, she would have no part either in peace or war, and that if they got on without her for ten months, they would become accustomed to getting on without her. End quote. She had the satisfaction of at last seeing the Bishop of Luçon promoted to the cardinalship she had so often solicited for him in vain but at the same time the king called to the council cardinal rochefoucauld quote, not through personal esteem for the old cardinal says richelieu but to cut off from the new one all hope of a place for which he might be supposed to feel some ambition nevertheless in spite of his enemies' intrigues, in spite of a certain instinctive repugnance on the part of the king himself, who repeated to his mother, quote, I know him better than you, madame. He is a man of unbounded ambition, end quote. Quote, The, quote, new cardinal, end quote, was called to the council at the opening of the year 1624, on the instance of the Marquis of La Vieuxville, superintendent of finance and chief of the council, who felt himself unsteady in his position, and sought to secure the favor of the queen mother. It was as the protégé and organ of Mary de' Medici that the cardinal wrote to the Prince of Condé on the 11th of May, 1624, quote, The king, having done me the honour to place me on his council, I pray God with all my heart to render me worthy of serving him as I desire. And I feel myself bound thereto by every sort of consideration. I cannot sufficiently thank you for the satisfaction that you have been pleased to testify to me thereat therefore would i far rather do so indeed by serving you than by bootless words and in that i cannot fail without failing to follow out the king's intention i have made known to the queen the assurance you give her by your letter of your affection for which she feels all the reciprocity you can desire she is the more ready to flatter herself with the hope of its continuance in that she will be very glad to incite you thereto by all the good offices she has means of rendering you with his majesty Lettre du Cardinal de Richelieu, page 5. On the 12th of August, however, Monsieur de la Vieuxville fell irretrievably and was confined in the castle of Amboise. A pamphlet of the time had forewarned him of the danger which threatened him when he introduced Richelieu into the council. Quote, you are both of the same temper, it said. That is, you both desire one and the same thing, which is to be, each of you, sole governor. That which you believe to be your making will be your undoing. End quote from that moment the cardinal in spite of his modest resistance based upon the state of his health became the veritable chief of the council quote, everybody knew that amidst the mere private occupations he had hitherto had it would have been impossible for him to exist with such poor health unless he took frequent recreation in the country memoir de richelieu page two eighty nine Turning his attention to founding his power and making himself friends, he authorized the recall of Count Schomberg, lately disgraced, and of the Duke of Anjou, the king's brothers, governor, Colonel Ornano, imprisoned by the Marquis of La Vieuxville. He at the same time stood out against the danger of concentrating all the power of the government in a single pair of hands. Quote, your majesty, he said, ought not to confide your public business to a single one of your councillors and hide it from the rest. Those whom you have chosen ought to live in fellowship and amity in your service, not in partisanship and division. 
every time and as many times as a single one wants to do everything himself he wants to ruin himself but in ruining himself he will ruin your kingdom and you and as often as any single one wants to possess your ear and do in secret what should be resolved upon openly it must necessarily be for the purpose of concealing from your majesty either his ignorance or his wickedness memoire de richelieu page three forty nine prudent rules and acute remarks which richelieu when he became all-powerful was to forget eighteen months had barely rolled away when colonel ornano lately created a marshal at the duke of anjou's request was again arrested and carried off a prisoner quote, to the very room where twenty-four years ago marshal biron had been confined end quote for some time past quote, it had been current at court and throughout the kingdom that a great cabal was going on says richelieu in his memoir and the cabalists said quite openly that under his ministry men might cabal with impunity for he was not a dangerous enemy if the cabalists had been living in that confidence they were most woefully deceived richelieu was neither meddlesome nor cruel but he was stern and pitiless towards the sufferings as well as the supplications of those who sought to thwart his policy at this period he wished to bring about a marriage between the duke of anjou then eighteen years old and mademoiselle de montpensier the late duke of montpensier's daughter and the richest heiress in france the young prince did not like it madame de chevreuse it was said seeing the king an invalid and childless was already anticipating his death and the possibility of marrying his widowed queen to his successor Quote, i should gain too little by the change said anne of austria one day irritated by the accusations of which she was the object diverse secret or avowed motives had formed about the duke of anjou what was called the quote unquote, aversion party who were opposed to his marriage but the arrest of Colonel Ornano dismayed the accomplices for a while. The Duke of Anjou protested his fidelity to his brother, and promised the Cardinal to place in the King's hands a written undertaking to submit his wishes and affections to him. The intrigue appeared to have been abandoned, but the, quote, dreadful or épouvantable faction, as the Cardinal calls it in his memoir, conspired to remove the young prince from the court. The Duke of Vendôme, son of Henry IV and Gabriel d'Estrées, had offered him an asylum in his government of Brittany, but the far-sighted policy of the minister took away this refuge from the heir to the throne, always inclined as he was to put himself at the head of a party. The Duke of Vendôme and his brother, the Grand Prior, disquieted at the rumours which were current about them, hastened to go and visit the king at Blois. He received them with great marks of affection. Quote, brother, said he to the Duke of Vendôme, laying his hand upon his shoulder, I was impatient to see you. End quote next morning the fifteenth of june the two princes were arrested in bed ah oh, brother cried vendome did i not tell you in brittany that we should be arrested quote, i wish we were dead and you were there said the grand prior quote, i told you you know that the castle of blois was a fatal place for princes rejoined the duke they were conducted to amboise the king continually disquieted by the projects of assassination hatched against his minister gave him a company of musketeers as guards and set off for nantes whither the cardinal was not slow to go and join him in the interval a fresh accomplice in the plot had been discovered this time it was in the king's own household that he had been sought and found henry de talleyrand count of chalet master of the wardrobe hair-brained and frivolous had hitherto made himself talked about only for his duels and his successes with women he had already been drawn into a plot against the cardinal's life but under the influence of remorse he had confessed his criminal intentions to the minister himself 
Richelieu appeared touched by the repentance, but he did not forget the offence, and his watch over this, quote, unfortunate gentleman, unquote, as he himself calls him, made him aware before long that Chalet was compromised in an intrigue which aimed at nothing less, it was said, than to secure the person of the cardinal by means of an ambush, so as to rid him at need. Chalet was arrested in his bed on the 8th of July. The Marquis La Valette, son of the Duke of Epernon and Governor of Metz, had been asked to give an asylum to Monsieur in case he decided upon flying from the court, had answered after embarrassed fashion the cardinal had his enemies in a trap he went to call on monsieur it was in richelieu's own house and under pretext of demanding hospitality of him that the conspirators calculated upon striking their blow quote, i very much regret said the cardinal to gaston that your highness did not warn me that you and your friends meant to do me the honour of coming to sup with me i would have exerted myself to entertain them and receive them to the best of my ability journal de bassompierre monsieur seemed to be dumbfounded he still thought of flight, but Madame de Guise had just arrived at Nantes with her daughter, Mademoiselle de Bonpensier. Madame de Chevreuse had been driven from court. The young prince's friends had been scared or won over, and President Le Coigneux, his most honest adviser, counselled him to get the cardinal's support with the king. Quote, that rascal, said the president, gets so sharp an edge on his wits that it is necessary to avail oneself of all sorts of means to undo what he does. End quote. Monsieur at last gave way, and consented to be buried, provided that the king would treat it as appanage. Louis Thirteenth, in his turn hesitated, being attracted by the arguments of certain underlings, quote, folks ever welcome, as being apparently out of the region of political interests, and seeming to have an eye in everything to their master's person only, end quote. They represented to the king that if the Duke of Anjou were to have children, he would become of more importance in the country, which would be to the king's detriment. The minister boldly demanded of the king the dismissal of, quote, those petty folks who insolently abused his ear, end quote. Louis XIII, in his turn, gave way, and on the 5th of August, 1626, the cardinal celebrated the marriage of Gaston, who became Duke of Orléans on the occasion, with Mary of Bourbon, Mademoiselle de Bonpensier. Quote, no vials or music were heard that day, and it was said in the bridegroom's circle that there was no occasion for having monsieur's marriage stained with blood. This was reported to the king and to the cardinal, who did not at all like it. When Chalet in his prison heard of the marriage, he undoubtedly conceived some hope of a pardon, for he exclaimed, as the cardinal himself says, quote, That is a mighty sharp trick to have not only scattered a great faction, but by removing its object to have annihilated all hopes of reuniting it. Only the sagacity of the king and his minister could have made such a hit. It was well done to have caught monsieur between touch and go, or entre bons dévoilés. The prince, when he knows of this, will be very vexed, though he do not say so, and the count of Soissons, nephew of Condé, will weep over it with his mother. The hopes of Chalet were deceived. He had written to the king to confess his fault. Quote, I was only thirteen days in the faction, he said, but those thirteen days were enough to destroy him. In vain did his friends intercede passionately for him. In vain did his mother write to the king the most touching letter. Quote, I gave him to you, sir, at eight years of age. He is a grandson of Marshal Montluc and President Jeannin. His family serve you daily, but dare not throw themselves at your feet for fear of displeasing you nevertheless they join with me in begging of you the life of this wretch though he should have to end his days in perpetual imprisonment or in serving you abroad 
Chalet was condemned to death on the 18th of August, 1626, by the criminal court established at Nantes for that purpose. All the king's mercy went no farther than a remission of the tortures which should have accompanied the execution. He sent one of his friends to assure his mother of his repentance. Quote, Tell him, answered the noble lady, that I am very glad to have the consolation he gives me of his dying in God. If I did not think that the sight of me would be too much for him, I would go to him and not leave him until his head was severed from his body. But being unable to be of any help to him in that way, I am going to pray God for him. And she returned into the church of the nuns of St. Clair. The friends of Chalet had managed to have the executioner carried off, so as to retard his execution. But an inferior criminal, to whom pardon had been granted for the performance of this service, cut off the unfortunate culprit's head in thirty-one strokes. Memoire d'un favori du Luc d'Orléans, Archive curieuse de l'Histoire de France, Second Series. Quote, the sad news was brought to the Duke of Orléans, who was playing abbot. He did not leave the game, and went on as if instead of death he had heard of deliverance. An example of cruelty which might well have discouraged the friends of the Duke of Orléans quote, from dying a martyr's death for him, quote, like the unhappy Chalet. It has been said that Richelieu was neither meddlesome nor cruel, but that he was stern and pitiless, and he gave proof of that the following year, on an occasion when his personal interests were not in any way at stake. At the outset of his ministry in 1624, he had obtained from the king a severe ordinance against duels, a fatal custom which was at that time decimating the noblesse. Already several noblemen, amongst others M. du Plessis-Praslin, had been deprived of their offices or sent into exile in consequence of their duels when M. de Boudeville, of the house of Montmorency, who had been previously engaged in twenty-one affairs of honour, came to Paris to fight the Marquis of Beuvron on the Place Royale. The Marquis second, M. de Fussy d'Amboise, was killed by the Count of Chapelle, Bouteville second. Beuvron fled to England. M. de Bouteville and his comrade had taken post for Lorraine. They were recognized and arrested at Vitry-le-Brûlé and brought back to Paris, and the King immediately ordered Parliament to bring them to trial. The crime was flagrant and the defiance of the king's orders undeniable, but the culprit was connected with the greatest houses in the kingdom. He had given striking proofs of bravery in the king's service, and all the court interceded for him. Parliament, with regret, pronounced condemnation, absolving the memory of Bussy d'Amboise, who was a son of President de Mem's wife, and reducing to one-third of their goods the confiscation to which the condemned were sentenced. Quote, Parliament has played the king was openly said in the Queen's antechamber, if the things proceed to execution, the King will play Parliament. Quote, the Cardinal was much troubled in spirit, says he himself. It was impossible to have a noble heart and not pity this poor gentleman, whose youth and courage excited so much compassion. However, whilst expounding, according to his practice, to the King the reasons for and against the execution of the culprits, Richelieu let fall this astounding expression, quote, it is a question of breaking the neck of duels or of your majesty's edicts. End quote. Louis the thirteenth did not hesitate. Though less stern than his brother, he was more indifferent, and quote, the love he bore his kingdom prevailed over his compassion for these two gentlemen. End quote. Both died with courage. Quote, there was no sign of anything weak in their words or mean in their actions. They received the news that they were to die with the same visage as they would have had that of pardon. Quote, in such sort that they who had lived like devils were seen dying like saints, and they who had cared for nothing but to foment duels serving towards the extinction of them. 
Mémoire d'un favori du docteur Léon, archive curieuse de l'histoire de France. End of section 20.